We are continuing in the Psalms of Ascent. There's just two left, this one and next Sunday. And we are up to Psalm 133, these psalms that the people of Israel would sing on their way to Jerusalem to one of the many festivals, one of the three festivals each year. And they would sing these psalms. This is the, this is the traveling music. And also, this is their discipleship class. And so let's look at Psalm 133. Listen to the Word of God. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and I, I pray that you'd guide us as we think upon it. Guide my words, guide all of our hearts and minds, and, and change us, mold us, shape us now. By your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you, when you come to faith in Jesus, one of the most startling realizations is that you are suddenly part of a family. If you call God Father, it turns out you have a whole lot of brothers and sisters as well. And whether you have taken formal steps to become a member of a local congregation or this church or, or any local church, you are a member of Christ's church. So the question is not whether we are a part of the family of faith. It, the question is, how are we going to live together as a family? Because all of us know all of us know, family's not easy. Neither is this one. But, but if God is our Father, look around. These are your brothers and sisters. And, and not just in this sanctuary or on our rolls, but look through the centuries and all around the world the family of those who confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So how am I going to think? How am I going to think about others? How am I going to feel about this group? And, and where, where is my place in it? That's where we look to Psalm 133. And this psalm begins, look and how good and pleasant it is when brothers, when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. We're not just thrown together as a family. It's not like some tax that we pay to have to put up with each other so that we can follow Jesus. Having each other is a blessing. More than that, we need each other. Community and unity 
is essential, is an essential blessing. There are no solitary Christians. Adam was not whole until Eve. Jesus had 12 disciples. 120 people were together when the church was born and the Spirit fell on them at Pentecost. And, and when soon when people stopped meeting together in the early days of the church during when there was persecution, the writer of Hebrews calls them back to getting together again. A Christian is not whole without relationships with others in the family of faith. This is a, it's a significant part of what we do when we meet at least weekly for the purposes of worship. This is not just about focusing on God. It's about doing it together. And why every week we, we stop what we're doing in the middle of the worship service and we connect with each other. And even if it's just for a moment, it is part of our worship. And anyone can and should be worshiping alone often, but we have the greater joy of coming to God together. We are meant, every one of us, to have a, a social component of, of faith and life and how good it is. But, but, but relationships are hard. They're so hard. And, and people today are even more overwhelmed by them, it's especially relationships at the depth and commitment that we are called to as family. And we tend to go off the rails in one of a number of different directions in, in handling the, the difficulty of the challenge of, of family. And it's, and it's great when we do live together in unity. But even the wording of that first line, do you hear it? It suggests how difficult it is. It's great when we do live together in unity, but what about when we don't? Don't live in unity. Just the words, like brothers, we, we know that doesn't always go well. As important as family is, even in scriptures, siblings are hard. In the fourth chapter of the Bible, Cain kills his brother Abel. A few chapters later, Isaac and Ishmael still defines one of the great conflicts of the world. A few chapters after that, Jesus' brothers sell him off in slavery when they decided not to kill him. And Joseph's brothers sell them to slavery. Did I say that wrong? Okay, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery when they decide not to kill him. And, and David's older brothers, they didn't have much respect for him, either when Samuel is looking for the next king or when he shows up at the battlefront and wondered why no one was standing up to Goliath. Jesus' own younger brothers at first, they don't get it. They don't get him. No, I meant Jesus. Jesus' younger brothers don't get him. But a large part of what we learn from our brothers, and, and honestly, I don't have brothers, what I learned from my two older sisters a large part of it, we learn how to fight. And 
for better or worse, we learn how to be in relationship. And, and thinking about the church in all of this, I, I, I think of an old Doug Paget book, a pastor. He wrote a book called, I Love Jesus, But I Hate the Church. And, and too often what happens in our relationship with our siblings and with the people in our church is, is we begin to see people as problems to be solved and, and we turn people into a thing that we need to fix or that needs to be fixed. Or too often we hold on to a hurt, a, a grievance, and we burn bridges. Now, this is not a message that is going to focus on the need for and means of reconciliation in our relationships. And we'll come back to that in a bigger way in the new year. But this is to just simply say that every deep unity we can find in a fallen world is going to face along the way needs for reconciliation, forgiveness, grace, mercy, and a whole lot of patience. There's other ways of avoiding real community, real unity that happens in a church, especially in America, in, in, our, in our, our idolatry of, of produ productivity. We can just think of people as, as cogs in the wheel of the church, as an, as an institution. We, we can see all this merely as a primarily a business and, and people as workers. And we can view and measure people not as humans in pursuit of what God is doing in and through us, but as contributors to institutional effectiveness. Like we're running a bank and recruiting employees. But our brothers and sisters are not problems to be solved or pieces of a bigger institution. Rather, God has made every one of us, each person, to be valued immeasurably by each other, to be taken seriously so that we can come to, to trust and depend on and have compassion for and rejoice and worship with each other. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. There are two images in the rest of this psalm. The first is of, of precious oil on the head running down onto the beard. This seems a little odd to modern sensibilities. It's a reference to Exodus 29, which is the ordination of Aaron and, and other priests. And this, this fragrant and expensive oil is, is poured over their head as part of their ritual of consecration, making them worthy to represent the people in God's presence. And the oil is a sign of God's presence in and over him. And this is the picture of God's calling and anointing and equipping all of us, all of us to be priests to each other. It's a whole different way of looking at each other. God is working through each of you to affect and serve 
each other, to bring God to each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a, a powerful little book for his covert community of faith um, that came together and stood together while Hitler either charmed or persecuted the church. In English, the title of his little book is called Life Together. And in it, he wrote, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. We need to hear God speak through each other to us. The primary, one of the primary tenets of the Reformed faith and the, and the Protestant faith is the priesthood of all believers. And that's not just a statement about our, each of us having our own relationship with God. We see in this imagery very clearly it's about our role in caring for and serving each other. We minister God to each other and to the world. Now, we're not the high priest. Jesus is the high priest who brings all of us to God. Do you remember what happened just before he was crucified? A woman came to him with, with a, a bottle of oil that cost more than, more than anyone could really imagine. And he poured it over, she poured it over him. He, he had this oil running down his face, his beard, and he was anointed for his ministry, for his work which we know as the cross and our salvation. God came to us in his son Jesus and saved us. And then he pours out his spirit on those who believe and he's still coming to us through each other in the spirit's work in each other. One of the most remarkable relationships I've seen in this way was in my church in Pittsburgh, and I think I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. I've, I've known I told you about Darlene before. Darlene was a person about this tall, and she had had a very difficult life by any measure. After a hard childhood, very little education, she was long a widow after an abusive marriage, and she'd suffered physically for decades by the time I knew her, and she lived in constant pain. But all of it seemed to drive her into God's arms. And not having any other family, the church was her family and, and did much to care for her in her last days while I was there. Marianne and Bob were, were key leaders in the church, and they were always ready to help Darlene whenever she needed it. But after a few years of that care, Marianne 
asked Darlene if she could mentor her, if, if Darlene would mentor her. Now, Darlene was in her 70s, Marianne was in her 60s, but by all visible measure, Marianne was the accomplished and the educated one. She was an executive. But Marianne saw in Darlene a depth of faith that she knew she was meant to learn from. Don't for a second think that no one here needs you. That that I, because I'm a pastor with all the education and the credentials, don't think that God has something for me through you. We all need each other. And when we serve each other, how beautiful it is. We've been in a transitional season as a church for over a year now. And, and here's the heart of it. When a pastor leaves, you, you lose a key person who, who you have looked to to bring God to you, his word, his, his comfort and love and the message of salvation. And on the one hand, you can anxiously go right on quickly to looking for that next person to arrive and, and draw all that attention to you once again. But here's why we intentionally linger in this time of transition for a moment. So that you would look to each other. Everyone stepping up to bring God to each other from the session and the deacons stepping up to every person bringing God to each other and all knowing together, God is here with you, his people, his church. Not the pastor's church, but Christ's church. And God uses all those who believe to bring God to each other. That's the priesthood of all believers. That's oil down the beard. The second image of family in this psalm is that we are like the dew of Hermon. From northern Israel, you can see the huge, looming, snow-capped 9,000-foot peak north in Lebanon Mount Hermon. And this community knows what it's like. This is, we here know what it's like to have a landmark like that, that we can see and know it's there. And if you've ever awakened at high altitude in, in, on Mount Hermon, you'll see a thick layer of dew, of, of moisture covering everything. And you can just imagine the meaning of this to the dry, arid deserts not, not far south in the southern parts of Israel. While, while people in Seattle may not feel this way about morning dew, you can imagine what that would mean to people living in that desert. Dew is an image of, of freshness, of newness, of renewal and strength for each new day with a hope of life and an anticipation of growth. Every community needs, in the words of Eugene Peterson, an ever-renewed sense of expectation of what God is doing with our brothers and sisters in faith. God is always at work. Each one a fresh new day, with God working in you and me, in each person and in all of us together. 
we are people who are always looking forward with anticipation and hope and looking together for God. With that kind of expectancy, we will always be looking forward with hope and and excitement and, and know that the possibilities are endless, like the dew of Hermon on each new day. This is a, that's a wonderful part of being in a time of transition, the great anticipation. And as we share in the coming weeks the work of the vision team and all make it our vision, the anticipation is not, not just for whoever's going to be called as the next pastor. That's wonderful too. But the anticipation is also for a new season of ministry for all of us for all of you, where we are all moving together in a clear direction where God is leading us. And together, we're part of something God is doing here and with each of us. Oil and dew, they're two vivid pictures. These these together make life wonderful. And the last line of this psalm gives us a glimpse of where all this is going. The last line reads, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Christians and all people have been trying in literature and art and all forms of imagination to, to picture heaven and life everlasting. I remember when I was a teenager and had a youth group conversation of what we, we thought heaven would be like. And I said it might be like a, a perfect ski run that just goes on and on down a, a steep slope with best friends, all of us making perfect turns, feeling the burn, but never wearing out or, or never falling. A television show I liked was funny and asked big questions, and it finished its run a few years ago. It was called The Good Place. And, it, and part of its work was to imagine both heaven and hell. And it ended with people in heaven. And, and they tried to come up with what people in heaven would do that would never get old for eternity. And in the end, the showrunners and the writers, they they gave up, and the imaginations of these great writers couldn't think of anything that would remain heavenly for eternity. And and think of it. Culturally, people have a hard time thinking of anything that would be as holy as heaven being worth doing for eternity. Much of our culture, honestly, thinks that hell would be more fun, would be less boring, But this psalm ends with a picture that points us, just gives us a glimpse of what makes heaven heavenly for eternity. Worshiping God together. Peterson describes this glimpse of heaven saying, the rousing good fellowship is in heaven where relationships are warm and expectancies fresh, we are already beginning to enjoy the life together that will be completed in our life everlasting. Which means that heaven is like nothing quite so much as a good party. 
Assemble in your imagination all the friends that you enjoy being with the most, the companions that evoke the deepest joy, your most stimulating relationships, the most delightful of shared experiences, the people with whom you feel completely alive. That is a hint at heaven. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. As I mentioned, this is the the penultimate psalm in this discipleship class that is the Psalms of Ascent. Remember what these psalms are. They are lyrics to the musics of traveling songs on the road to the temple in Jerusalem. One of the shared experiences we have in our world that is pictured in heaven is, in the book of Revelation, is music. It's an experience we can have here that helps us imagine what is, what is heaven is like. And, and music can drive all the feelings to their depths and furthest extremes. And when we find that song or peace that hits us, of course, if you listen over and over again, eventually it gets old, but you can still remember that experience when it took you to the deepest places of feeling. And, and sometimes you can again. And I can conceive of the idea of an experience of the glory of God that is beyond my ability to articulate And it is always made greater by sharing it with others with whom we are experiencing this to the depths of our heart together. That's what worship music is meant to be. One of the greatest pieces in music in history is inarguably Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And I remember when I first discovered in college, and since then I've had memorable experiences of it, both with my wife in Buffalo and and a wonderful concert with my daughter in Pittsburgh. But one of the things that makes the piece great is that even the final grand statement of the joy and glory of creation and life is expressed not just as an individual, but much more grandly together. Manfred Honeck, the director of the Pittsburgh Symphony, wrote in the notes of the CD to the recording of Beethoven's Ninth about how, f- how the famous theme at, at the finale begins. He writes, what makes Beethoven so special is that everything has a purpose. The melody starts from piano, creating a long journey until the full, joyful song. It's as if one person starts singing something and more people join than a second, than a third, than everyone. Here's the lyric of today's song. Behold how good it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Let's pray. Lord, family is hard. But there's nothing better than being your children together. 
And God, help us where we fail, where our sin, sin steps in and makes it difficult. And then, Lord, bring us to that final day when we join together in perfect unity and worship you, you who are worthy, where all these songs are going. God, we thank you for your love, for your son, our brother, who has brought us all into the family. God, guide us as your children who dwell together in unity. We pray in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen.